Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with author Victoria Forrester. Her first book, The Girl Who Could Fly, was published back in 2008, and this fall she returns with a sequel, The Boy Who Knew Everything. It's being published in October by Fywell and Friends, which is sponsoring this podcast. While Piper McLeod and her ability to fly were at the center of the first book, it's Conrad Harrington III who takes center stage in The Boy Who Knew Everything. He's a super genius, essentially, and it's an ability that can be both tremendously useful and tremendously isolating, uh, especially since he's been disowned by his father, whose political star is on the rise. With crises facing several people close to Conrad, it's up to him, Piper, and their powerful young friends to attempt to save the day. Uh, thank you for speaking with me, Victoria. Thank you for having me. So, so as I mentioned in the intro, you know, it's been a little while since the last book back in 2008. Why and how did you decide to return to uh, Piper and Conrad's world now? Well, I had always intended to return. I just love the characters. I love the world. I'm very passionate about their journeys. And I had a baby in the meantime and just had to get through some life stuff so that I could get back to my writing. But from the earliest days, you, you sort of knew, well, I wish, maybe I shouldn't say the earliest days because I know that the book had originally been sort of envisioned as a screenplay. But once that first novel came out, you sort of knew that a sequel would follow at some point? I didn't actually know. Mm. Um, what had happened was I had written The Girl Who Could Fly as a screenplay. I had um, written and directed several films and they were low budget. And I really wanted to write something that would be a bigger budget theatrical release film. And so I had written the script for The Girl Who Could Fly and it was a spec and Paramount ended up buying it. And I worked intensely with them in development for a year trying to get to the point where they would make it. And it just didn't work. And I was sitting there one day really thinking about it and it's a bigger budget film and I thought about it and I realized they weren't going to make it because there wasn't a pre-existing audience to justify it. And so I went and decided I really love the story so much, I was going to write it as a book. I just couldn't give up on the story. So it took me a while to figure out how to write a book. It's very different from writing a screenplay. Mm. It's very exciting. I, I love the process. And so I wrote The Girl Who Could Fly and from that moment on, it, it was like writing books had me. I, I couldn't go back from that point. It's just there's so much independence to the process. And so after The Girl Who Could Fly came out and it seemed to generate an audience, my publisher approached me and said, would you like to write another book? And um, uh, that's when I thought about it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a large cast, uh, I guess, in both books, you know, plenty of mm -hmm. superpowered children, as well as some important older characters. As far as the second book goes, when that idea presented itself, did you know pretty early on, like, this is probably going to be Conrad's story? Yes, I did. Because I felt that Conrad had a really emotional journey and a really exciting emotional journey. Um, the conflict he has with his family and his parents, it, it felt very present and real to me. And now when this new book opens, uh, among other things, Conrad is sort of working on a, a time machine of sorts. And, you know, yes. when you have such incredible knowledge at your disposal, like he does, that's a power that can really be used for, for good or evil. So between that idea and the time machine, did you feel like ethics and moral dilemmas and things like that were going to become uh, an important part of this book? Huh, let me think about that. Ethics and moral dilemmas. For me, this book is really about secrets. Mm. 
and the secrets his father kept, secrets about how he has to keep his life. One of the exciting things about middle grade readers is they're between nine and 12, it's the first time that you're independently forming your identity away from your parents. Like, who am I? What am I good at? What am I going to do? And as you answer these questions, they become the story of your life. But the problem with writing your story and answering those questions is that if you don't start with a clear and honest information about what your life is, you can't really create a strong foundation to springboard from there. It's just hard to navigate your own story truthfully that way. And that holds true for everyone, not just Conrad. Interestingly, when I grew up, I had a friend who was adopted and she had a really interesting adoption story. And she found as she got into her teens and 20s, she couldn't move forward with her life until she connected with her birth parents and understood more about who she was and where she came from and who they were. And once she did, she was able to move forward. Now, I don't think that's true for everyone who was adopted, but it was for her. And for Conrad, as he's trying to move forward on his journey, completely cut off from his parents, he keeps finding that he can't do it. And so those secrets that his father is trying to keep have to be uncovered. And, uh, you know, while, again, Conrad is sort of at the center of this new book, you know, your narrative also spends time with a lot of the other characters. I almost got the sense as like the third person narration almost gets to be your superpower as the author and you're <laughs> poking around in the brains of all your characters like a mind reader or something. Um, <laughs> is that omnis- uh, omniscient narrative something that's been useful to you as you've been writing uh, fiction? I think omniscient narrative for me is wish fulfillment. I think I have boundary issues where when I'm talking to someone, I literally want to crack their head open and know everything about them. Like everything. I want to know what they like, what they don't like, their biggest, worst moments. Like I just, I want to know with an intensity sometimes, like I have to tell myself, calm down, you know, don't do that. (laughs) And so it's nice for me when I'm writing where I can do that with my characters because it just interests me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, going back to the first book a little bit and its sort of screenplay origins, was screenwriting essentially your entry point into writing and storytelling in general? It was. I came to Hollywood when I was young and foolish, and I really started out, you know, just doing everything I could to learn about story. And when you're working on story from a screenplay perspective, it's actually one of the best places to start because screenplay is pure story. What I had to learn when I segued over to writing a novel was to finding my voice and using words differently. In screenplays, you try to use as few words as you possibly can and move the story as quickly as you can. When I was writing a book, I realized that sometimes I just needed to slow it down. I just needed to take a breath and let the readers take a breath, which was something that I, I hadn't been taught when I was writing screenplays those strike me as differences, things you had to get used to. Were there certain lessons that you picked up from screenwriting that you think have served uh, your novels well? Oh my goodness, yes. In fact, if a young writer was to ask me for my advice, I would say take some screenwriting classes. Lessons about story, character arc, um, way stories work, definitely. I, I think it's an amazing grounding for any writer. And imagine dialogue, too, in terms of what, yes. would, what would your characters actually say? What, you know, what would a conversation actually sound like? <laughs> 
you, you mentioned moving to uh, LA when you were young, but I understand that you also grew up sort of in what sounds like a small town rural setting, which maybe sounds a little bit like uh, the small town rural setting where uh, Piper and her family live. Was some of your upbringing reflected in those aspects of these books? That's a great question. First of all, let me clarify. I came to LA when I was in my early 20s, mm. which is youngish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I, w- I didn't come here when I was like 15. Okay. I grew up in Canada in a very, very remote rural place. My parents built this log house and we lived down this lane, this dead end road that was dirt. Like our house didn't have heating in it so that my job was to bring the wood in for the fires so that it would be warm. Like it was just one of those sort of off-the-wall kind of upbringings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was fun too. Mm-hmm. And so very much like Piper... I felt not only were my parents immigrants, but we lived in this very unique way that not many people lived. And so you definitely felt like an outsider. You felt like you were different than other people simply by what was going on in your life because no one else I knew was like getting wood in for the fire before school or walking a mile to get to the school bus on a dirt road. Like no one else was doing those things in my class, not that no one else does. So it it did make me feel like an outsider. And like Piper, she has to learn how to negotiate her differences with the world. Now, her difference is very striking. I wasn't flying around, Hmm. but (laughs) I felt my differences keenly from those around me. And, uh, you know, back when The Girl Who Could Fly was first published, author Stephanie Meyer had some very nice things to say about the book, which was basically right around the height of her popularity for the Twilight books. You know, in publishing, people often debate, you know, do blurbs matter? Do do those recommendations, you know, have any effect? But do you feel like it, uh, you know, had an impact when that book came out? Oh, my goodness, yes. Stephanie Meyer was an angel to me. And by the way, I've never met Stephanie Meyer or spoken with her. So and I didn't request the blurb from her. Mm-hmm. What had happened was the book came out and I was so excited and nothing happened. It didn't sell very well and, and it just, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was so disappointing. And one day, Stephanie Meyer was talking to her agent and she said, hey, you know, I was got away and I read this book and have you heard about it? Because it's so good. And it turns out her agent was my agent. And she asked if she'd be willing to write a blurb. And she mm-hmm. did. And it changed everything. It, was, it became this whole word of mouth thing. And it just created momentum and momentum and momentum. And it was completely out of the blue. And are readers uh, of the first book still uh, reaching out to you and finding you now? You know, I get fan letters every week, and it's the high point of my week. And they're so dear and sweet and passionate about the book. They feel passionate about it the way I feel about it, which is surprising to me because I don't usually find people feel the same way about things that I feel about them. So it's so nice. <laughs> and uh, when, when the new book comes out, do you, do you expect to be getting out there? Do you think you'll be uh, meeting with fans, doing some appearances, things like that? Um, I certainly hope to. We're, there's definitely a book tour planned. Oh, excellent. And um, now that the second one is uh, almost here, do you think there are more books? Do you feel like this is the, you know, the bookend to the first one? Or is there more to come, possibly? I am working on another one in the series. Okay. I feel like I'm a little bit in early stages yet, but I think it's going to come together and I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And do you still have hopes that this may, you know, still find its way to the big screen or are you happy with like, you know, it proceeding forward in the print world? 
Oh, first of all, I'm so thrilled with it proceeding forward in the print world. It's gone beyond my wildest expectations and mm. dreams. And it's interesting, now that I write books and I don't focus on my screenwriting, people ask me all the time, oh, do you get a book deal? Is anyone interested? Is it going to be made into a movie? And I take those comments, you know, with gratitude, meaning they want to see more of the story. But ultimately, I feel like it may happen, yes, but the most important thing is that I wrote the story that I loved and it's out there. And whatever else happens is a bonus and it doesn't even need to. And beyond maybe the early stages of a, a potential future book, are there other writing projects that you're sort of mulling over or things you're working on either for print or screen? I am. I have other projects, uh, another book that I'd like to get going on. It's exciting. Excellent. Well, uh, congratulations again on, on this new book, and uh, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Once again, I've been speaking with Victoria Forrester, whose new book, The Boy Who Knew Everything, is out in October from Fywell and Friends. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.